Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the eastern border. You know, it's the 23rd, and uh, tomorrow we're going to make a anniversary episode, and uh, it's going to be the most disruptive and, uh, well, sad anniversary episode ever, but um, I kind of want to make an episode about the whole event that happened in... Um, in, in, in Moscow about all the celebrations about the one year event thing but then I understood that I've made a similar episode just recently because nothing's changed and who wants to hear about that oh and secondly I got complaints that my usual audio settings were too too kind of uh, quiet for some people and that ads in Acast blew up too loudly, so I hope that this is my experiment on this. If you don't like the audio settings, please, uh, on my website, theeasternbar.lv, if you now scroll down, you'll see the Mastodon link, and, you know, you can just write me there, because, well, some people told me that they had to listen to me uh, with uh, loudness, like, to the max, and I thought that, you know, I do something for them. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to be the best for you as I can. And also, I'm back on an Apple podcast. But, um, but yeah, although um, the whole situation with budgetniki, basically state-owned people, I'm sorry, not owned, employed. It's the same thing in Russia, though. Although they were all like driven to this uh, whole meeting thing, and although the whole speech happened... It was all pretty much nonsense. Meanwhile, what is really interesting about this war is how recent events have switched everything that I knew, I suppose. Because for one, Moldova, which I've mentioned mentioned in recent episodes, they have elected a new um new prime minister who's now all about, you know, getting back Transnistria. And I mentioned before that there are new um, kind of Russian, sorry, not Russian, Ukrainian forces on the border with Transnistria, and it's a complex situation. Well, you see, right now, Russia is now putting out warning signs about the fact that it might be a false flag attack, that, you know, in case of someone does something in Transnistria, it's totally not Russia, we're not going to do this. uh, Yeah, something's brewing around those parts. Because if you think about it, it's in the back of all the conflict, and it's kind of, well, weird. So, I'll be following that for a while. Today, uh, by the way, as, as news told me, a Russian counterattack happened as well. But Ugliadar, once again, massive casualties from the Russian side, movement for about 30 to 50 meters at best, with ginormous casualties, and mostly one-sided. I mean, Russia, currently, in the last few months, have gained about uh, 100 meters, square meters, of land, and paid for it in ridiculous amounts of blood. And I can understand this, because, you know, Ukraine doesn't want to leave Bakhmut until the 24th of February, but I'm fully expecting them to leave it at 25th, since, you know, they, they can't lose a major city, well, what used to be a major city, right now it's just a piece of ruin, but, uh, yeah, for political reasons, afterwards, I don't even know that she's going to leave. What important is, what's important, though, is that um, Putin, in his latest speech, mentioned that the elections are going to happen in Russia as they are usefully, you know, usually done. 
the thing is he he promotes and he hopes on these elections because up until these elections there is some threat in Russia. These elections where Putin, Putin might get re-elected once again, which he hopes he will, and he will cheat to ensure that he will, those are to happen in 2024. But the problem is that in case of a war situation, which he doesn't even you know say that it's a war, what could happen is that there could be a protest vote. There could be so many votes against Putin for someone else that Putin and his cheating, you know, the, he had to cheat extra. Not that he would lose. No, no, no. He wouldn't lose anyways. But uh, the situation might happen where it could destabilize his government and all that whatnot. So until these elections, you know, he's very insecure. And that's why I keep telling you that uh, giving more weapons to Ukraine is important right now, since up until the elections of 2024 really matters. After that, Putin will just, you know, mobilize everyone who lives, and after that, uh, after 2024 sort of elections, uh, yeah, that's when a nuclear war could actually start. We need to defeat Putin until February 2024. That's the final date, because I sat down and I thought about this, and yeah, Russia now tries to pull off until the elections, so that it would look good, so that, you know, there wouldn't be massive protest actions, because they don't want to rig the election so far, so there will be protests, but it kind of will need to be done. So right now, up until that date, we have an advantage in the West. After that, not so much. However, one thing that works in our favor is, again, Prigozhin and his conflict with the rest of the military. See, Prigozhin posted that he is in lack of artillery supplies and everything like that. You know, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, the famine of, of shells, basically. That's the term. The problem is that, well, apparently Prigozhin is now posting that he himself lacks any shells or something. But then there was a, as I mentioned this in previous episodes, the Ministry of Defense report. And, you know, although you shouldn't trust the Russian Ministry of Defense at any point or whatever in your life, they managed to piss off Prigozhin a lot. They stated that, oh, no, no, the attacks on Bakhmut are going as planned, we are giving everyone supplies, I don't know what Mr. Prigozhin is talking about. This is all according to the latest, you know, um, these advisory uh, things that Putin has given. And then Prigozhin wrote in detail about how Shoigu and Gerasimov and all these people, you know, how they should get sued, basically. How they're not fit for their jobs. And, uh, yeah, that has caused a huge divide on this situation. For example, and I'll translate to you right now, is one Alexander Khodakovsky. Khodakovsky, yes. Uh, he is a war correspondent, or so he calls himself. Because unlike me, he has never been to the front. He's only visited some villages, which I also have, but it's okay. Anyway, he writes that, um, and I'll translate to you right now from Russian, quote, The problem is not in the fact that the private military warfare companies have started to less uh, have started to get less uh, uh, ammo. It's, it's in the fact that they have started to get them in the same ratio as everyone else. I have to admit that we, you know, in a good way, uh, were envious of these Wagner people when they had their own frontal aviation, aviation in the front lines, that is, 
and their own um, daily norm, which was two Iskander rifle, Iskander missiles in one caliber. And when they were, you know, being sent uh, ammunition for uh, 1,500 bullets just for, you know, uh, practice. And, you know, we, we considered that justified when they got results. Results, which we hoped was not because just of the quantity. And right now, the guys are just like everyone else in their uh, logistics issue. The tra- and they are now confused because they think they are being uh, pushed back and they are being undersupplied specifically, although, well, now they are experiencing what every, uh, every uh, part of the army in the Russian Federation Armed Forces feel about. Time to remind them that... Uh, before Ugliadar happened, and that's the case where Russian army was bombed to death and everything was, like, terrible for them. Uh, th- time to remind them that before Ugliadar, we, the army was just uh, putting to the minimum every strikes they had so that they had at least enough ammo for at least the very early stages of advance. See, that's the thing. Right now, the Russian side is focusing more on arguing between themselves than with anyone else. The front lines, well, there was an attack on the city of Liman from the Kharkiv district. Yeah, because the Russians were sort of trying to take back the Kharkiv parts. That didn't work out. They're all now back in the Russian territory with many dead. And the reason is that, yeah, I mean, at this point, Russia is very keen to do any debates because they're losing. And they know they're losing. And Biden's speech was just amazing because of this. And although I'm not a Democrat or a Republican, yeah, when I mention American politics, please, guys, I don't know anything about those. I'm just here from the outside, and I mentioned them in my first years in my podcast when I thought, you know, I had the rights to criticize American politics. Back in 2014, if you listen to my early episodes, I make fun of some of your politicians. But then I understood, you know, after visiting the United States that I have no rights to this. So, you know, if I make jokes about Trump or Biden, it's because I don't like politicians in general and I have no no leg in this, okay? Because, you know, some angry emails struck me after the last episode. But back to the point here. The point here is that um, no one knows what's, what Russia is going to do. I mean, and talking with them right now is pointless. They're kind of... Putin's being told that they're winning and they're obviously not. And I don't see Russian army winning anytime soon. That, of course, depends on the Western deliveries of equipment and weapons, but um, they, they like the manpower there. And they like motivated that manpower, that is. Because, again, let me remind you that the wounded in the Russian army don't get paid, they're ignored. And that event that I talked to you about in one of these previous episodes, how the LNRD and our guys, how they were just left alone and everyone ignored them, <laughs> yeah, nobody cares. And the guy with the skull, right? All the pro-war Turbo Patriot guys are like, when's gonna, you know, when we are gonna have an investigation and all that whatnot. And everyone knows Wagner did it, apparently. However, no investigation, no nothing, even even Girkin posted about this. It's so bizarre. In general, Russian army currently are in the state of lack of motivation, they are arguing amongst themselves, and... Uh, Nothing good is to be expected from them. However, a lot of them are now stating that uh, the reason why, you know, 
Like I told you guys, by the way, in the Putin's speech, Putin told that he would be ready to uh, experiment with nuclear weapon tests if the United States did the same. Like I said, normal people over there are afraid the United States would do nuclear strike first, and then Russia could do the same. However, that's led to a conflict, since although the most pro-war Russians do not approve of a preventive nuclear strike towards the West, they would like to see a nuclear test blown up somewhere in Siberia. And uh, yeah, I just don't think Putin has the guts for it. It's a weird situation, but... I believe we're quite safe from that part. However, well, we had that usual festival, we had usual everything. Everything's been a bit weird. People have died and nobody cares. Even though Russia tries to portray themselves as the biggest big heroes and that they the value every soldier or whatnot, that is just not the case. They just sacrifice everyone. But, but yeah, things look hopeful right now. And today, by the way, is the last day before the war. Last year, this time, I was called by Foreign Policy magazine, and, you know, Putin was giving his speech about the annexation of Donbass and Luhansk, and the guy just called me and told me that uh, I should, you know, translate it for them because their local translators wouldn't make sense of it and didn't make any sense whatsoever. So, yeah, it's kind of a memory for me. But um, posting this now, hope you enjoy this. It's a bit of philosophy and a bit, bit about news. But tomorrow I'm going to sit down because tomorrow is going to be exactly one year with the whole operation. I'm going to look through everything. I'm going to do the promised front situation. I'm going to do everything. And we're going to look at one year of my show covering the war. One year of this whole war. And uh, sadly, one year of pure human suffering, of uncertainty of damage not just to Ukraine, but also, for example, to Sri Lanka and other nations which rely on food imports. Because, although I'd like to say that we evaded this massive starvation crisis, we evaded it only partially. A lot of people are starving right now. A lot of people are just desperate. And in other parts of the world, I doubt they even follow the politics enough to understand that it's because of Russia. We live in interesting times, comrades. But yeah, that's it for tonight. До свидания, товарищи. And uh, I'll skip the usual Patreon ads today. Just going to tell you that tomorrow is going to be a long, hard, brutal episode. Happiness is mandatory.